growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. What's up, everyone? It's GQ here, back with yet another episode on the How We Solve show. For today's guest, we have Ray Cornell, who is the marketing strategist and senior copywriter at Cornell Content Marketing, a marketing agency specializing in full funnel content creation, copywriting, and digital marketing for subscription businesses. As a trained psychologist turned subscription marketer, Ray infuses every word with compelling psychological principles to build deep connections between customers and brands, all while leveraging SEO, demand generation, and the most effective digital marketing tactics, which we'll cover in today's episode. So without further ado, Ray, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, GQ. It's great to be here. I'm so glad that we can catch up and have you on the show. I mean, the last time that we were chatting, I remember that you were sharing different ideas and things that you were doing at Cornell Marketing. So what are you up to these days? We are very busy, (laughs) wonderfully busy, (laughs) working specifically with subscription brands. So over the past 10 to 12 years or so, we've worked with B2B, B2C, direct-to-consumer companies. And over the last four or five years, we've really niched down into working with subscription businesses. And this year has been full of working with new emerging subscription brands. And it has just been so much fun. We absolutely love this industry. Oh, that's amazing. And I think a huge part of the rush is probably due to, well, Dark Fighter is kind of over now. You have Cyber Monday, but I guess it's also the holiday (laughs) season. Everyone's just cramping in and setting everything up before next year then. Oh, yes. Yes. So most of the companies that we work with, they've been prepping for Black Friday and Cyber Monday since about July, August, September. (laughs) That's usually when that sort of preparation happens. So now most of the companies that we work with were doing their content creation, their digital books, their box insert cards, that sort of thing for their February and March boxes. So in my head, I am well into 2022 already. (laughs) (laughs) You're living in the future. Yes, it feels like that sometimes. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Well, what's the problem that we're solving today? Yes. So we are solving the problem of breaking down barriers to buying and how you do that specifically with content. So what are we talking about here when we talk about barriers to buying? Are we talking about removing all the different rebuttals and objections that people have to before purchasing? If you can expand on that topic. When we think about the online market, the online purchasing experience, consumers are overwhelmed. They are flooded with ads and email marketing campaigns and things on Google searches. And I mean, even something as simple as how do I thaw out my Thanksgiving turkey? Before they can get to any answers, they see three, four, five, six ads on the Google SERP. And so consumers have become very wary of ads. They have become much more discerning, much more picky about where they spend their dollars online. And for your brand to actually make the sale, you have to do a lot more work up front to break down those barriers to buying, which have to do with trust, have to do with expectations. I love that the topic of this podcast is how we solve because your product really needs to solve the problem of the customer and they need to be confident that you are going to solve their problem before they ever click that checkout button. That is so true. 
getting to the point of breaking down barriers. I like that title. It says breaking down barriers. And that makes a lot of sense because we're getting a huge amount of content being delivered to us every day, every single channel you can think of. There's something in your face every day. So what's the first step? How do you go about breaking barriers? So like I said, selling is really all about problem solving. And in order to start to break down those barriers to buying, you have to know specifically what the problems are that your Mm -hmm. customers are facing. For example, let's take smoothie bucks, for instance. The problem is not so much that, oh, people want smoothies. That's very surface level. They don't necessarily need a more convenient way to make or purchase smoothies. The problems that are underlying those surface level issues are the ones that are really emotionally charged and that can allow you to build more long-term relationships with customers. So in the case of Smoothie Box, that would be something like maybe someone wants to eat healthier, but they're having a hard time with their busy schedule and finding the convenience of healthy eating. Maybe Mm -hmm. they want to replace all of the quote-unquote junk food or snacks in their pantry with healthy foods that are not going to expire. I mean, how many times have we all bought apples or avocados only to go and finally be motivated to eat one of them and then we find out that it's spoiled? (laughs) Maybe that's the solution to their actual underlying problem. So step one is going deeper than that surface level problem and really finding out what the more emotionally charged problems are that your product can solve. Going back to what you shared, I think you talked about some level of an audience survey. I think we were chatting about this just now. So how would people dig out these problems? Like what's one of the best ways that you've seen work well? Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring that up because in coming up with the topic for today's podcast, we did an audience survey. We reached Uh out to my audience within our Cornell email marketing list. And we asked people, hey, which of these topics do you feel would be most helpful to you where you are in your business right now? And here we are. And that's exactly what you need to do. Reach out to your audience, whether it's through your email list, through social media posting. And if you don't yet have an audience or a following, maybe you're just getting started, go to Amazon, go to Facebook, go to ads, look at products that are similar or tangential to yours even if they're not necessarily competitors, maybe they're supplemental. If it were Smoothie Box, and maybe there isn't a competitor to Smoothie Box, maybe you go look at something like Black & Decker blenders. What are Mm -hmm. the comments that are being left on the reviews of those products on Amazon, Walmart.com, places like that? What are people complaining about and what are they saying, yes, this is why I gave this product five stars. Look at what they consider their biggest problems and what the solutions they were happy with or unhappy with are. Mm -hmm. And if you can, engage them in conversation. And so go to Reddit, go to these forums, go to comments on blogs and see what people are actually saying and have conversations with them. Talk to them one-on-one like humans do. I like that part you talked about. The only best way for us to learn is really learning from people. The survey is like only part of it, but actually engaging in those conversations and finding out what people are really saying that just makes so much sense. And so then that leads us to step number two. Once we know their problems and how they communicate that, as you said, like the language they use to describe them, what's the next step to solving this problem? Yeah. So the next step is once you know what the problem is that they're facing, you need to figure out how they want to feel on the other side of the solution. 
So it's not enough to provide the solution. I wish it were that simple, but it's not. If you want to build those long-term customer relationships, and specifically in the subscription industry, it's all about retention. Yep. It's far less expensive to keep customers that you already have than to go out and acquire new ones. And in order to do that, you need to know how they feel and how they want to feel on the other side of implementing the solution, whether that's your solution or someone else's. And if you can figure out what their desired feelings are, then you can speak to those feelings before they even hit that sales page. Okay. Since you've started talking about the smoothie box as an example, I figure let's use the smoothie box as the uh, centerpiece for today's topic. Sure. You've mentioned maybe someone who is buying into a smoothie box subscription. They're looking to maybe live healthier, not necessarily have to manage the problem of fruits that basically expire. You don't have to deal mm -hmm. with that pantry issue or how long foods can last. How would that look like? What's an example of piece of content that might have come out of that? There are always going to be multiple answers to this question. Let's say that one of the things that you identify that people want to feel after implementing the solution is that they want to feel like they are adulting responsibly because they're okay. getting their fruits and vegetables in. They're setting a good example for their kids and they can say, hey, this is how you can have convenience and snacks and things that taste good all while being healthy. Speak to that in a blog post. Speak to that in your ad copy, in your social media copy. Create an infographic about the six unexpected outcomes of always having healthy smoothies stocked in your mm. freezer. When you can speak to that feeling at the end of all the things that they actually want to experience on an emotional level, emotions are, when you think of the five senses, the sense of smell is the one that's most deeply rooted in memory. And it's yep. kind of like that with purchasing. If you can make a purchase that has emotional charge to it, it's going to be much more deeply rooted in your memory and in your habits than something that has absolutely no emotional feeling for you. Emotions, yeah, because we're just human. We buy on emotions. That's why Black Friday and Cyber Monday exists. <laughs> Great discounts. <Yes>. But <laughs> jokes aside, one thing that you brought up really resonates with me. It's the memory piece. So I had a guest on, we were talking about shaping memories. The idea was creating not just great customer experiences. And he focused a lot on, for retention purposes, you want to shape and create great memories that people remember, right? So if you go shopping somewhere, you leave that store remembering this X or Y thing that happened on how they've handled customer service. When you have that in your memory, obviously you remember things a lot better. It's amazing that you talked about the memory piece as well, because I think that makes a lot of sense that you want to be able to tap into people's emotions so that they understand after going through a piece of content you might have created and they understand, oh, hey, wow, I didn't know that we could achieve this. And that kind of burns a memory yeah. <laughs> into your head so that you remember kind of like, okay, I read this article somewhere. I know the benefits of doing X, Y, or Z. That kind of stays at the back of your mind because the next time that you come across similar content, maybe even by the same brand or get hit up by ads, for example, then you can draw upon that memory piece for you to move deeper into the funnel, I guess. Absolutely. And I like that you bring up that example because it's also about creating a feeling while people are engaging with your content. Yeah. So for example, if we're looking at Smoothie Box and let's say they have a competitor yep. and someone is price shopping and let's say they come up pretty even, how are they going to make the decision? They're going to yep. go with the brand that makes them feel good. And this isn't a conscious thing. If you talk to consumers, they won't be able to identify this for you. It's a subconscious thing that happens where they just go, 
I don't know why, but I like this brand. Well, it's mm-hmm. because that brand did something along that customer journey pathway that made them feel good, whether it was a funny meme that they created or a helpful infographic or a blog post that made them feel heard and that they could relate to other people who were out there. Something made them feel good. So now they like that brand unbeknownst to them. And when it comes down to making a decision between competitors, they're going to go with the one they just like. On the topic of block content, before we continue diving deeper into the next few steps for solving the breaking down of barriers, right, to purchasing, while on the topic of blogs, right, so how do you know how to choose the right keywords for SEO-driven blog content? I will give you the three criteria that I always look at when we are choosing keywords for our clients. So the first one is relevance. And relevance can mean a lot of different things. The keyword needs to be related to the product that you're selling or a problem that you're solving for your customers. You also want to look at the intent of that keyword. Some people type something into Google like, how do I thaw out my Thanksgiving turkey in the next 20 minutes? They have no intent to buy anything. Mm -hmm. But if they're typing in something like, what's the best roasting pan to make a delicious Thanksgiving turkey, they likely have a very high intent to purchase a roasting pan. So you want to look at the intent of what they're typing in, and that keyword will reveal that. The second thing is your search volume. So most keyword tools, and the one that I love is KW Finder by Mangles, Mm -hmm. They will show you the average monthly search volume over the past year. You want to make sure that that number is high enough for you to get significant traffic into your website. However, that's very relative because it really depends on how many customers, how many sales you need to make. So someone who needs to sell 10 very high ticket products per month needs a much lower search volume than a direct-to-consumer, product-based business that needs to sell 10,000 items per month, they'll need a much higher search volume. And then lastly, you want to look at keyword difficulty. So the keyword difficulty is on a scale of 1 to 100. And a lot of people think like, oh, okay, if I can get into the 70s, that's a, a C by like grade school grading standards. Anything above about a 45 is going to be extremely difficult, especially if you don't have strong domain and site authority. So shoot for keywords that have a difficulty of 45 or lower. So that was a very quick and dirty rundown of what to look for when you're choosing a keyword. One thing that's interesting that you talked about is the competitiveness of a certain keyword. Okay, I'll break it down to relevance, intent, search volume, right? So with any content strategy, you're typically, and I think this is going to obviously also go back into how you solve this problem, but there will be, like you mentioned, the keywords that have a high amount of search volume and some level of competitiveness. But what if you're finding those really hyper niche keywords? Do you think it makes sense to also target really niche keywords where you know that the intent is really high, but the search volume might be super low, the keyword difficulty might not be very high as well because maybe you're in a field where it's not that crowded just yet? Do you think there's any relevance to that? Yes, absolutely. There's a ton of value in that. And it's exactly for the reason that you mentioned, which is intent. So let's say you have a keyword that has a search volume per month of 10,000. Well, if it's a low intent keyword, of that 10,000, the percentage of people who are actually going to end up making a buying decision is extremely small. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, let's say you find a keyword that is hyper niche and maybe it's only 100 searches per month. 
but the intent is really high, well, your percentage of conversion on that keyword is likely going to be much higher as well. So it's worth it to invest the time and energy into ranking for that keyword. Okay. When we talk about the funnel, it's like this changes with every business, but I kind of figure it as like, you're going for high search volume keywords typically in the beginning so people can find you. And then as it goes down, as they start to better understand your solution or what they're looking for, and that's when you start to target the more hyper niche keywords. In a nutshell, like a generic framework. So yes. speak, would that be something like that? Like that could work for some businesses? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a relationship there. The higher volume keywords, those are going to be better for brand awareness. The mm -hmm. lower volume keywords that have very high intent, that's going to be when you're hitting people around that interest and decision stage of the funnel. So let's get right back into the further steps for solving today's problem. Right? Sure. So we talked about, first of all, knowing the problems and the language they use to describe them. We talked about knowing their desired outcomes and most importantly, the emotions that they want to feel after the solution. Right? What's the next step? What's the third step? Yes. So the third step is knowing how little or how much they're willing to invest in finding that solution. And that includes energetically, financially, and time-wise to get that solution. For example, one mistake that I've seen some businesses make is when they have an opt-in, they mm -hmm. ask for five or six pieces of information. But people who are looking for the solution to their problem, that particular problem, maybe it's one that it would be nice if they could solve that problem, but they're not going to spend tons of time, money, energy in finding a solution. It's not super pressing. And so how that relates to your opt-in is you need to ask for name and email address, something that their phone will automatically populate for them. Yep. You can't ask for name, email address, occupation, gender, birth date, phone number, you can't ask for all of that. They're not willing to put in that much effort to get your coupon code or your free cookbook or whatever it might be. So that goes for your content as well. If you're considering gating your content, think about the actual problems that your product solves. How much of a life necessity is this solution? Mm -hmm. If what you're selling is more of a luxury item, maybe it's something that people spend their expendable income on, which a lot of subscription boxes are, they're not going to be willing to spend a lot of time and energy in solving that problem. That may just be a convenience factor for them. So mm -hmm. understand your product in the context of how important or almost like is your product just the cherry on top for a wonderful life or is it something that actually solves a problem that people are having like a health problem a pain problem a relationship problem that's so amazing that you brought this up i read this somewhere before how you could break up these two types of services one where it's like a nice to have and one is like crucial so let's talk about mm -hmm. the for lack of a better word the crucial ones the ones that you need to address a pain i think it was more of like addressing mm -hmm. a pain i think so would you say that there is merit in asking for more details or there's reason for companies to ask for more details when it comes to a solution that is more of a need versus a want? Yeah, absolutely. So the example that comes to mind right off the bat is CBD products that particularly are meant to solve pain. So something mm -hmm. like arthritis pain, back pain, joint pain. People want so desperately 
to get rid of their pain. They yep. want to be pain-free or something like sleep. Oh my goodness, I have known so many people who would kill for a good night's sleep. <laughs> That's something that is so emotionally charged. They are so desperate for a solution that they will give you basically everything but their firstborn child <laughs> yep. to get a solution for these things. They will give you the last four of their social security number if you ask for it. If you can show, if you can demonstrate that your product has the solution to this deeply emotional problem that they're having, they're willing to invest more time, energy, and money in you. So you need to understand where you fall on that spectrum. That's a very, very good way to break this down. Some notes that I've made for our own marketing strategy as well. So now that we know, like you said, how little, how much as a business where our products or services fall under pain or pleasure, for lack of a better word, or like wonder or need, what's yep. the next step? Maybe just for today, the final step to solving this problem. Yeah. So that final step is creating content for each stage of the sales funnel that speaks to all of those things that we just talked about. What are the problems? that they're facing and what is the language that your customer base uses to describe those problems? How do they want to feel after experiencing the solution? And how much or how little are they willing to invest time, mm -hmm. energy, money into getting that solution? Once you know all of those things, you can create content for each of those stages of the sales funnel. And particularly for the subscription industry, I say this all the time, there's not four stages, there are five. Okay. Most B2C brands focus on brand awareness, interest, decision, and action. But for the subscription industry, you also have to focus on retention. That's the fifth stage of the sales funnel that a lot of people neglect. They just focus on those first four and they don't nurture their existing customer base. So make sure that you're creating content for each stage. It doesn't necessarily have to be different kinds of content. So similarly to how we were talking about how you can use different keywords for different stages of the funnel. You yep. can use blog content all the way through. If that's your thing, if that's what your company is good at, if that's what it's easy for you to start creating as an entry point into content marketing, great, do it. Just make sure that you are creating topics that speak to each stage of that buyer journey. And once you have those five stages covered with at least one piece of content, that's where you can start building out, but make sure that you keep it balanced. You never want to put too much emphasis on one stage of the sales funnel. You always want to balance it throughout so that your existing customers don't feel neglected or you don't get tons of leads, but you never make the conversion. You want to make sure that it's balanced. So that's like fighter frame and it's the IDA framework, but with an R at the back, right? IDAR. Yes. <laughs> exactly, just, it's IDAR. <laughs> just to kind of put it in the visual sense, or right? like awareness, yes. intent, yes. decision, and then action, action. right? Yes. And then retention. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I like that you consider retention in that factor as well, because I think not a lot of businesses really think about that. They think that once they've made that purchase, okay, we'll just throw it to customer success, to customer service, and figure the rest out. That's it, right? But when you're marketing, you want to always stay at top of mind with your customers, right? Retention, I love that. That's, <laughs> that's the name of the game. Yeah. And that's the thing is a lot of people think of marketing as separate from sales. They think, okay, marketing's job is to just get the leads in through the door and then sales handles it from there. Yep. But really they're two sides of the same coin. 
Because if your marketing is doing its job well, and what we really focus on at Cornell and helping our clients with is getting the sale 95% of the way there. If you Mm -hmm. can do that with your marketing, the sales can just take over that last 5% and just push them over, make sure they have a wonderful customer experience. And then you can focus a lot more of your time and energy and resources all in retention. Thank you so much for sharing all this information. Now, what are some resources or sites or tools that you recommend if people wanted to find out more about Cornell content marketing or just content marketing in general? What are some places to check this out? So, of course, you can visit us on our website at cornellcontentmarketing.com. We also have on our website a content marketing checklist. So if you're not ready to invest in working with a content marketing partner, that checklist gives you everything you need to know to do your own content marketing in-house, including how to create content and then repurpose it over several different media and platforms to make sure that you are making the most out of every dollar that you spend on your marketing. We also have an SEO checklist, which speaks to the question that you were asking me about keywords, how to choose them, and how to use them in your content, all the right places to put them to make Google happy while also making sure that you're not neglecting the quality of the experience of your content, because ultimately it's the humans who click the buy now button, not Google. Until they start sending bots to buy stuff. But I don't think anyone would ever do that. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) no, but I will download these checklists. Thank you. Now I have those URLs. It's amazing. My pleasure. What about, let's say, if businesses or like viewers today or listeners, they're not necessarily sure where they can start with content marketing, right? Is there a way to get in touch with you or what's the next best step? Yeah, absolutely. If you go to our website, there are book a call buttons all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Book a call with me. You can contact us through our contact page on our website or my email is right there on the screen. (laughs) Feel free to email me directly. Would LinkedIn or Instagram be a good place to get in touch with you as well if you're active there? Yep, absolutely. Actually, on our Instagram and our LinkedIn and our Facebook, we give content marketing tips three times a week. We publish on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and our feed is just full of content marketing tips so that if you are just starting out or you're going the DIY route, you have everything that you need to give it your best. Very cool. Well, Ray, thank you so much for your time in today's episode. It was really great catching up with you and just learning all that information. I mean, there's a lot of things for me to also go over, and I'm pretty sure everyone else has gleaned a lot of insights from there. And like you said, it's only been about 30 minutes. It's not, it's just enough to kind of like give a good high level overview, but I think we could probably dive deeper into a full workshop to get to the crux of this. But yeah, really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right. If you guys like this stuff, give us a five-star review (laughs) on Apple Podcasts. And with that, there's a special thing I wanted to announce in today's episode. So for those of you who are listening to How We Solve all the time, right now, we're looking for a few selective listeners to join our inner circle. We were looking for people to join a little group that we're building out, listeners who really love our show and want to help us grow. You can get a How We Solve verified badge, social media shout out, and limited edition merchandise as well. In addition, we'd love for you to join a greater community of podcast power users and gain access to exclusive perks. Once we're able to do more local meet and greets, we'll do something like that. So if you're already listening on the Clara.fm application, there's a smart note link for you to click on. Otherwise, send us an email at team at Clever.fm or tweet at Clever.fm to get in touch and join our inner circle. And so with that, thank you so much for listening to the show. 
once again, we are working really, really hard to produce this show to support you guys and your businesses. So give us a five-star rating. We hope we've earned it. And if you have any feedback or topic ideas, let us know. Remember, we're more than just a show. And so if you ever need any help with anything with regards to your business growth or maximizing your revenue, check us out, howwesolve.com to learn more. With that, it's GQ. Peace out. Is your e-commerce growing so fast that you can't keep up with supporting your customers in real time? Serve them better in any time zone and language. They will thank you with higher conversion rates and repeat purchases. We build and manage your own dedicated customer experience team of live chat and support agents. Get started today. Visit ltvplus.com. That's ltvplus.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.